Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast, and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. Thank goodness we have people to help. I'm here with Dr. Danielle Dolezal. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you. She is an expert. She has a Ph.D. in psychology, but she's an expert in understanding how to help families and children specifically with significant and severe challenging behaviors. And we're here talking really directly about the challenges that come in children who have autism. About almost 9 out of 10 of them have challenges with eating at some point during their life, and often a lot of their life will have challenges Mm -hmm. because of the way they interact, express themselves, and the associations they make with food. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to run through five separate tips for families or those who love children who have these challenges to follow in helping support their child when these challenges arise. Doctor, I'm just going to say a couple things real quick. Dr. Dolezal is a huge expert. So, like, she has a PhD, but then she went and did what are called postdoctoral fellowships, one at Johns Hopkins, and really evaluated how to work with gastrointestinal specialists, pediatricians, family members, physical therapists, occupational therapists, and nutrition nutritionists together to make what are called multidisciplinary plans. And so then she launched, started, and created a whole program that now literally has a wait list of over, like, 500 families. Mm-hmm. So she's in like super high demand. She's like a superwoman that way. But that's why hopefully this will help you as you maybe wait to see a specialist or even wait to see her team. Um, and hopefully we will direct you on the blog as well to different links and resources online that you can go to if and why you're, while you're waiting. Okay. So let's hit it off. <laughs> Drum roll. <laughs> Number one, Dr. Dolezal, um, what's your first tip about, I mean, you, you've told me basically about creating a team for your child. Explain what you mean. I think that's super important, and thanks for having me to talk with, talk about this really serious issue that impacts so many kids and families. I'm very grateful. But yes, please create a team for your kiddo. And the reason for that is children with autism struggle with feeding issues, but there, there's no real single cause to what contributes, what sets the occasion for these feeding issues, and what maintains it. And what I mean is there could be ongoing medical issues that need to be looked at for your child. There could be underlying GI issues or chronic constipation or reflux or something that will really need to be addressed before we really start to branch out your child's diet. So step one, really answer that question. The other piece is to really work to find experts um, who understand how to work with children with autism and feeding issues related to nutrition. So finding a good dietitian to look at, okay. So hard to do. It's really hard to do. What's a tip of how do we find a good nutrition? Like, I don't have a, I don't have like a Rolodex. I mean, no one has a Rolodex anymore, but like I have a phone. But no one in my phone is listed like as a resource of like this is the premier yeah. dietitian in the community where my practice as a pediatrician. So yeah. what what how does a family discover that that's dietitian. A, that's a really good question. So they can always reach out to their primary care doctor is always right. my point of contact. Someone to vacant say, like me who doesn't have a good list. Yeah. So reach out to me if you're a great dietitian <laughs> and, and I need you in my Rolodex. Thank you. Right. Okay. It's hard. And then yeah. like contacting, you know, your local hospital to try to find somebody, a dietitian attached there would be yeah. another place to start. And then just, you know, Dr. Google can always be of helpful. <laughs> yeah. But the, but the follow-up question, with, and I, I of course, endorse going online and looking yeah. um, and reading about people. But what is... The, I think a parent question can be, what is your specific training in helping exactly. children with yeah. autism or in helping children baseline with yes. eating challenges? Yes, exactly. So that's part of number one is yeah. build a great team and understand that this is a part of a child's struggle, but you're going to need a lot of different people's help. You know, one thing I was thinking I wanted to explain while you were talking just at, at large is just the kind of educator pediatrician in me is, 
you know, the reason that having chronic constipation or having gastroesophageal reflux can complicate a feeding challenge for a child is that there's a natural reflux in your body called the gastrocolic reflux. And, and what that means is gastro is your tummy, colic is your colon. And when you fill up your belly with anything, it causes your colon to get ready to empty. It kind of makes sense. So it's like those babies come out when they're breastfed and they poop like eight times a day because every time anything hits their belly, their colon's like squirt, mm-hmm. right? So that keeps going through life, but it gets matured. Mm-hmm. And and so it's like how most people, like a normal stooling pattern, right, is you wake up in the morning, you have a little bite to eat, and you poop before you go to the school bus. Mm-hmm. You know, but it can get disrupted if a child stops eating because they feel pain because that colon is acting after they filled their belly. Right. So advocate if you see something going wrong, even if you don't understand that process, make sure you're saying, I might need to see someone besides just my pediatrician yeah. and take it on yourself even if you hit a wall. Exactly. And the other, just to loop back with the other people, important people on the team, is don't forget, you know, we, we occupational therapists can be really helpful mm-hmm. in addressing the sensory sensitivities around eating and kind of p- partnering with that dietitian to say, well, what foods should the diet include? Okay, well, now what foods is your child highly sensitive to and what foods could we then avoid and maybe try to promote more? Um, as well as a speech and language pathologist to work on any skill concerns that your child may have, um, evaluating swallow safety. All of these things are really important. And then as well, don't forget, I'm always advocating for the child psychologist to really come in to address some of the learned avoidant anxiety that, of course, can happen around mealtimes when you might struggle across all these domains. And right, because conflict comes at these mealtimes too, right? And, then, and that's the last thing you want at mealtime, exactly. but it happens naturally because you just want your kid to eat. Exactly. And oftentimes, you know, we may push a child to try to do things in therapy and they may exhibit, you know, like, hey, a lot of avoidant anxiety and challenging behavior. And then we naturally say, okay, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But then what happens and what I'm always advocating for is then these kids start to learn all these memories around my avoidant anxiety is real. It's a big fear and I should be, you know, acting in this way. And so we develop these learned patterns of behavior that are very detrimental. And so including that as a piece of therapy is really important. And if you can't get all these team members members under one roof, just try to seek them out individually and encourage them to work together outside of their silos can be really tricky, but very important. Yeah, ton of work for a family to do that on their own. But I think what what you're saying is that in your experience and expertise, it's worth it. Yes, it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number two um, Mm -hmm. is about parent classes. So Mm -hmm. um, she's basically, you're saying, do a parent class. So Mm -hmm. tell us about the parent class that you run monthly, Mm -hmm. but also what kind of parent class a family should look for. Sure. So we started to see that, you know, access is a big problem, and we wanted to offer families, you know, help and hope in a sense that, number one, they're not alone. These problems are real. It's nothing that they have done wrong, and here's what we know about them. And so we started to offer this parenting class once a month. It's, you know, four classes. You can self-refer to this class. And really, we're just talking about what is this? You know, what should we do? What do we know? And what are some next steps, some of which we're talking about here? But we go more in depth. And families really like being in a group with other families because they can really start to hear like, oh, yeah, my child has that problem where they're only eating goldfish, you know, every day. Or Mm -hmm. my child has this problem where they're just eating waffles now for two to three months, you know, Mm -hmm. or they will only drink. Pediasure from a specific bottle. So it's a nice time where they can really feel validated that it is a significant problem and they're mm-hmm. not alone and it can be really helpful. And some of those families reach you virtually mm-hmm. so you don't have to be in person as Correct. well. Okay, yeah. so you can talk to them. Have you ever done like a Facebook Live event? 
I've never done hmm. that. <laughs> Maybe we'll think about that. Okay. Um, okay. Number three, you mentioned a little bit, but let's go through it specifically that, you know, you talk about occupational therapists and, mm-hmm. and speech and language pathologists. Mm-hmm. So why do they need to be a part of the team? Um, I think we have some fabulous occupational therapists and speech and language pathologists in the community, and they they primarily are the the treaters of these feeding issues in kiddos, and they're mm-hmm. critically important around, you know, um, skill-based issues or um, what sensory food items or diagnosing that sensory def- defensiveness. And that it's and they do a lot of therapy around expanding diets and, and things of that nature and helping kids progress, and they do a wonderful job of doing that. I think just as I mentioned before that sometimes um, they are not as trained in mental health issues or the, mm-hmm. those learned anxieties and fears that can develop in our kiddos, and then sometimes they'll get stuck where I have I know exactly what to do you know to help them move forward. I just can't get them to participate in these skill-based um, interventions that we're offering or these sensory-based interventions that we're offering. And so we need to kind of say, okay, this is within their scope, but we also need to have additional therapists to come in to like, for example, myself to say, how do I get this child to participate with this wonderful Mm -hmm. occupational therapist who knows how to do this work? And so I'm helping layer on, you know, behavioral interventions to help them participate and be more engaged in that kind of therapy. Yep. Number four is specifically about constipation. So we've mentioned it, but I mean, the number is a little staggering to me again here that, Mm -hmm. you know, the far majority of kids with autism have challenges with eating and sensory challenges. And Mm -hmm. then the far majority of kids who have challenges with eating have constipation. So maybe eight to nine out of 10 Mm -hmm. of these kids also have chronic constipation. Mm -hmm. In your experience, what can families do to successfully, I mean, mm-hmm. I, we, I, we, we can do 12, you know, 12 podcasts on constipation. <laughs> I'm a general pediatrician, so I care about that stuff. But, the, but what is it in your experience that, that families can do right out of the kind of get-go to make sure they're managing that? Mm-hmm. It's another good question. And we have found that in our program, we, we see so much constipation and families may or may not be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece is if they are aware, they may be kind of intermittently providing treatment of the constipation when really we're saying and advocating you need a management program. Every day. and you Every day. And yeah. you need a champion to kind of monitor how that's going. And so advocating yeah. back to the pediatrician that this is something we need to partner together with. I yeah. need a regular follow-up on. I need yeah. to know like Miralax is an everyday kind of thing. Yeah. I need to monitor what that stool looks like. We'll yeah. often have a, you know, a poop chart, the Bristol stool chart, yeah. you know, yeah. in our clinic. So that's we can... a little picture where literally there's like a little pebble and then there's a little uh-huh. snake and then there's a little blob and it's like, which does your poop look like? Exactly. It's really effective though. It is. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll say just as a, a patient, we'll include links on the Seattle Mama Doc blog to some of the posts I've written about constipation and management. But just as a, as just one pictorial kind of reminder, I was going to say urge, um, but for families is that, you know, what happens with constipation is it becomes really chronic. Kids then mm-hmm. don't want to poop because it hurts. Mm-hmm. Their colon and rect, everything dilates. It gets bigger. It gets stretched out. It gets full of hard poop. And if you basically treat it for a little bit, you evacuate all that poop, then there's this like floppy, distended, extra large colon that's in there that just refills up and it starts again. And so often constipation management is not a day thing or a week thing mm-hmm. or even sometimes a month thing. It's mm-hmm. that we treat with an active plan that includes diet 
modification when you can. Mm -hmm. And medicines, like Mm -hmm. to your point, Miralax, Mm -hmm. and like behaviors, which is like you can't get on the bus without going and trying to poop for two minutes and you put your feet on a stool so that you can grunt down, Mm -hmm. like all these silly things. So Mm -hmm. be really, you know, know that if you're getting into the treatment of constipation, which it sounds like if you have a child who has eating challenges with autism, you're going to be in that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a long-term, like this is a marathon Mm -hmm. when it comes to making sure you keep that child of, you know, as optimized as possible. Yes. Okay, number, I guess we're going on to number five. Um, you call it work with what you've got. Yeah. So tell me. Yeah. And I think this the, the issue with constipation plays right into this one where your body and your kids really need to move out of these grazing patterns if they are in a grazing pattern, which means they're eating little bits, you know, multiple times a day, like every hour or so, into very steady, like three meals and a couple of snacks a day evenly spaced, like two and a half to three hours apart. And that's really important for your stool, you know, to have a, a very, you know, effective stool where your body's kind of chronically getting that those nutrients in a set time. But also really helpful for when you're trying to expand diet and celebrate this sort of notion of flexibility with trying to eat a variety of things within your child's repertoire instead of just getting in that rut of only offering and your child only eating those goldfish or those specific Tyson chicken nuggets that they love so much. Yeah. The dinosaurs. Yes, the dinosaurs. Exactly. Exactly. So when I say sort of work with what you have is that if your child has maybe five foods that you're working with, try to think about offering them in balanced combinations. So it's not just heavy carbs, but you might, if they have applesauce as their one fruit, it's okay to offer it, you know, applesauce Mm -hmm. every time. So you have Mm -hmm. sort of this balanced. But if there's a variety of carbohydrates or grains that there are starches that they'll do, offer a variety. Don't get stuck in offering that same thing every time. Only. So you, you can offer the one that they love as mm-hmm. like a peach, mm-hmm. a peach a peace offering, right, yeah. an olive branch. Yeah. But maybe, maybe I mean, decrease the volume of it, right, mm-hmm. and then add something else in. Yeah. yeah. And then think about balance. So it's like you have your fruit or veg side and you have your, you know, your protein or your, your carb option as well. Yep. And then offering those multiple times a day. And when I mean work with what you have is that then just rotate through those preferred food options so there are things that your child will eat. And then also figure out a way that you can also present something that's different that might be a small stretch of what they're already eating, what they are currently eating that's just slightly different, that if you can put it on the plate, that's wonderful. Some of our kiddos, you know, they will not eat if their food is touching or if it's even on the plate. So we'll just say find a place on the table where you can present it, Mm -hmm. you know, and then gradually over time scooch that bowl of, you know, Closer and closer and closer (laughs) to that table, to the plate until it's on the plate if you can make it. So those Um, incremental changes are really productive. Very productive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the bonus here. Explain to us about Adventure Bites and how they work. (laughs) This is bonus five plus. Yeah. So this is something that we will often do after in our team, how we work is we get a really good nutritional evaluation and we look at where kids are at and she'll often recommend what foods that the child should be eating yep. to help balance. And then we work with our speech and language or OT to say, well, what foods would be easier, low response effort, you know, maybe not as highly sensory aversive. And then we will start doing these stretches with families. And if you've ever had anxiety, um, you know that going into a highly unpredictable situation is scary. So if you're afraid of spiders, you kind and you're going to be exposed to spiders, you kind of want to know how you're going to be exposed to them, uh-huh. right? You don't yep. want it to be unpredictable and super, super in scary dark. in uh-huh. the dark, and yep. they're going to fly out of you at, from the yep. corner. Yep. So when we call, we kind of 
termed it something fun like Adventure Bites. It's uh-huh. a very highly structured, highly predictable, and we make it developmentally appropriate to the child. So if we're using visual cues or, you know, token boards of what are we going to do with this new food. So it the child is highly informed. Highly informed. And uh-huh. it's very, very low effort, a low ask, where we're just kind of asking them to do something with this food. Um and I say we I say it's really important to work with a provider, like a psychologist, for example, to know how to make that incremental ladder for each child because it's highly individualized. That's uh-huh. why there's no manual on this work yep. of how there's to not treat one Bible of, of no. resource. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so then we say, okay, well if the small adventure bite is gonna be we're gonna do one touch the you know, of whatever new food it might be, mm-hmm. then we'll start there. Or mm-hmm. some kids are ready to do one small taste, so we'll start there. It's almost like a Exposure therapy, right? It is, With cognitive it's, behavioral therapy. Exactly. Of them learning to trust that they can kind of get through the adventure bite. Exactly. And they're okay on the other side of it. Exactly. It's like, exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. getting your body used to it sort of yeah. exercises where it's also plays into the sensory piece that we know that they can do it. We're just gradually getting their bodies used to it. But we're also also talking about how do we work through the anxiety in that moment. And that's also a very critical piece that yeah, we're working with. parents need a lot of support. Exactly. I, when my kids are anxious about something, I feel like a flailing fool well, sometimes. because It's hard. Mm-hmm. And again, the Every intervention feels like it comes with an effect, which it does. Yes. Right? Yes. And the modeling, like if you're getting tense and you're modeling anxiety, your kids are going to pick up on it too, exactly. right? Which is true for every family, yeah. let alone, you know, families who are, are parenting children mm-hmm. on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to run through the five plus again real quickly. Number one, build a team. That team can help all the different underlying aspects. There's not one single thing that causes children with autism have challenges with eating. It's both texture and color associations, challenges with communication, and then frank development. Number two, um, get in a class so that you can find people like you. That might be somewhere like as organic as, as Facebook, but it might be a parenting class like the parenting classes that Dr. Dolezal is a part of. Um, and some of those can even be virtually. And who knows? We may be advertising a Facebook Live event she's doing soon. We'll see. Time will tell. Number three, get occupational therapists and speech and language pathologists involved. Number four, children with autism spectrum disorders and eating challenges typically have constipation. It's a long-term sport when you're really (laughs) supporting a child. It typically will require daily behavior modifications as best you can daily. Food modifications with high fiber and water and a lot of liquids, but also um, really making sure you understand that it is a long-term event. It's not going to get dealt with a week and be done. And asking to see your kids poop sometimes can be really uncomfortable, but knowing what it looks like will really help you when you're talking with your clinicians. And then work with what you've got. I love your advice on that, Dr. Dolezal, about just gradually in in increments, expanding where the food sits, how the food is prepared, maybe what temperature it is, where and how Mm -hmm. close it sits on a plate, but gradually that those little victories will come with Mm -hmm. incremental changes over time. And then the bonus, five plus, is really working on these adventure bites and developing a plan to deal with your child's anxiety while you prepare them and really heartily inform them that something's going to be a little bit different for about two seconds at the meal where you're going to try the bite of carrot Mm -hmm. and then it's going to be over. I love those tips. Thank you. For more, look at links on Seattle Mama Doc. We'll have lots of resources, including lists to Dr. Dolezal's classes. And if you're stuck on one of these wait lists to see a team like she's a part of, um, reach out to us and we'll get you as much content as we can. The reality is parenting is a high stakes job. But the good news is you've got this. 
Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc Podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 